Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Good morning, everyone online. We're live all over the world. Uh, welcome to Save the Cowboy. Thank you for joining us this morning, uh, whether in person or online. Um, we all have the same goal here, which is to grow closer to each other and grow closer to God uh, through His Word. And so if you don't know me, my name is Ty Weber. I kind of get things rolling on Sunday mornings, and then and then Kevin will come up and, and uh, do his sermon. So um, part, of, uh, part of what I do, or most of what I do, is, is take care of our ranching operation, the Long X Ranch. We have a, a working cattle ranch that that this ministry uh, is involved in and takes care of. Um, so that leads right in with the with the with the Long X Ranch. It leads right into what I want to visit with you about this morning, and and that's a uh, that's cowboy heritage. Okay, so part of our reason for uh, our ranching operation is is to preserve the heritage of the working ranch cowboy, and it is dying. I mean, uh, agriculture. The population involved in agriculture is now less than 2% of the total population in the country. Okay, so you see fewer and fewer ranches, family ranches surviving. You see fewer and fewer younger uh, kids going back to the family ranch just because it's so dang hard to make a living. It's really hard work, and and the markets uh, are difficult, and the cost of inputs are as high as they've ever been, and and it's just really difficult. So um, the Long X Ranch is, is... trying to do our part in preserving the cowboy heritage, uh, ranching heritage. And so well, I was very fortunate and blessed growing up to, to be a part of that. I, I had parents and grandparents who, who were involved in ranching, and I got to learn that those things firsthand. I mean, my dad was a county extension agent, so he taught me, you know, most of what I know about, about evaluating cattle, choosing cattle, uh, range conditions, you know, all, all the things that are involved, cattle health, things like that. And, and then... On my mom's side, I, I was blessed because uh, they homesteaded in North Dakota, which is why I get, that's why I say North Dakota. <laughs> that's where I get it from, people. I'm Montanan, though. Uh, but they, uh, I had nine uncles uh, that were able to kind of help me out and, te- and teach me how to cowboy, how to ride a horse, how to, uh, you know, every, everything involved with ranching. And, and my mom was a ranch lady. She had small hands, so whenever there was a calf to pull, she got the job. Whenever there was a lamb to pull, she got the job. Whenever there was an abscess to Lance, she got the job because my dad had a weak stomach and he wouldn't do that stuff. So, so I learned how to doctor cattle from my mom because she was out there. She was a school teacher all day and a, and a ranch wife at night. I don't know how many times we had frozen calves in the bathtub trying to thaw them out because that's what happens in Montana. And uh, So my ranching heritage runs deep. Um, not only did I learn that from my family, but from just lots of really good cowboys and, and ranchers in that area that, that I had access to. Uh, I just got to learn my heritage through that and, and, and be able to have all that knowledge. And, and it's a blessing. Um, so in ranching, it's usually passed along generation to gen- generation. And we get it from the generation before us, and we give it to the generation behind us and I get a lot of opportunities to work with kids through the 4-H and teaching them how to rope and, and do ranch horse things and, and so through the Long X Ranch we have a program uh, 
Uh, I simply called the Cowboy Crew, and every Wednesday we get together. Anybody's welcome. Uh, it helps to have a horse, but you don't need to have a horse. You can watch from the fence, and, and we just get together and we do cowboy stuff. And, and we learn and we teach and, and we carry on those traditions, that preservation, and then we take it out in the community and, and serve with it. <clears throat> How does that work? Well, just, just this week, I don't remember which day because the days all kind of run together. We had a cow, a full-grown mother cow that, that had gotten a dewclaw torn off. And if you don't know what a dewclaw is, come out to the ranch and I'll show you. Uh, but this cow has really long dew claws, and she got one torn off somehow, and it got infected, and her foot was all swollen up. And so, even though it was cold and the ground was slick, that that's what we got to do. We got to go take care of her. And so, um, I called up Brett. Brett's always been been ready, willing, faithful, and uh, available to help. And but but part of our ranching heritage is such that Brett didn't really have the opportunity growing up to learn how to do all these things. Um, but he still wanted to do it, so he's part of the the cowboy crew at the ranch. So I called him up and said, "Hey, you know, we got this cow to doctor." It was just he and I. And uh, Brett isn't real experienced in roping 1,500 pound cows and laying them down in the pasture. But you know, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> so we went out and and uh, of course we made a plan, which was pretty funny, you know, you make make a plan. And so I said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna rope her by the neck. We're out in the middle of the pasture." And I'm going to get her stopped. And then what I want you to do, Brad, is just catch the, the good leg. We, I don't want you to get a rope on the bad leg because that will injure it further. It was swollen up. I was afraid the, the hide would just peel off it if, if we roped it. So I said, I want you to rope the good leg. And then I'll throw a step over so she steps over the rope with her, with her front legs. And then we'll just lay her right on the ground. And, and I'll get off and dock her because my horse can hold her down. And so, you know, what could go wrong? I mean. He's inexperienced at doctoring cows. It's slick, you know, we're, it's a big cow. So, you know, so here comes the big story about what happened. <clears throat> I went out there and I roped her by the neck and I got her stopped. Brett came up through, side past his horse over through the prettiest little backhand heel trap, caught the correct hind leg on the first loop, pulled it tight, held the cow. I threw a step over, he let her step over it. She laid down and I doctored her. It took about as long as it did to, to, to saddle our horses to do the job. Now, for all of you that wanted a wild wreck story, it didn't happen because of cowboy heritage, because he's learned how to do that. He's learned how to make a hand. He's learned how to, how to handle those kind of things. And I'm really proud of him because it wasn't long ago he wouldn't have been able to do that. That is what the, the Long X Cowboy Crew is all about, being able to take care of our livestock in a, in a safe and humane way uh, with low stress. And it's not an easy job, but we were able to do it. So that leads into, into our Christian heritage, okay? I'm also blessed to, to have been able to, been handed down through the generations of Christian heritage. It came through the Catholic uh, denomination, which I'm not real fond of, but um, that doesn't matter. My, my mother and my grandmother uh, were, were able to show me examples of what, of what faith is. Um, they're both strong in their faith and both very good at prayer. My, they were both, they're prayers. Both of them were prayers, and they, and they showed me how to pray and taught me how to pray. And so I got that heritage passed down from the generations for my Christianity, okay? Uh, <coughs> it, it, it says in Isaiah 39, verse 19, Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. That's what I got. I got 
my mother and my grandmother telling me about God's faithfulness to us, handed down. Um, what happens? What happens if you're sitting out there in a family where you didn't have a Christian heritage like that, where where your where your parents and grandparents didn't pass that down to you? Does that mean you're excluded? Absolutely not, because Jesus started our Christian heritage 2,000 years ago. In Matthew 8, Matthew 8, verse 11, And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will, will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the, the Jews were God's people, and pretty much everybody else was excluded in the Old Testament from, from having a relationship with God. Only the Jews, the Jewish people, were, were part of that. But when Jesus came and sacrificed himself for all of us, for all of our sin, suddenly the kingdom of God was open to the Gentiles, and that's what we are. We're Gentiles. And so our Gentile heritage started then, at the cross. Okay? And so we've, we've had 2,000 years of, of the... Christian heritage being passed down from generation to generation to this generation. Well, there's like three or four generations represented here today. Gary left so that that really old generation isn't here anymore. But uh, <laughs> Oh, he's still here. Wow. I thought he'd be napping by now. <laughs> I say that because I love him. He's one of my favorite people in this world. Uh, but uh, we have a, a Christian heritage, whether, whether you were born into one or not, and it's passed down through the, through the good book, okay? If you're not sure uh, how to get started in, in, in learning Christian heritage, we'll do what Kevin said last week and find a teacher. That's where you start. That's what I did. Uh, I wanted to know more, and I walked into this ministry one morning, sat in the back, Coy and I did, and slowly worked our way to the front because we wanted to learn more. And, and, and Kevin was my teacher to help me with my Christian heritage. Uh, I also learned from my wife, Kathy, who's, who's, uh, sh she never had a strong uh, family Christian heritage, but she use, utilizes every, every resource she can find. She'll listen to, she listens to Christian radio, all the, all the sermons on there, books, um, people she works with, examples, everything she can find to, to uh, enhance her Christian her heritage. Um, there's four guys in this Bible that, that knew Jesus firsthand, okay? So if, if you want a place to start with that, go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They knew Jesus firsthand. They, they ate, they broke bread with him, they went through trials with him. Uh, they're great teachers on, on how to learn what that Christian heritage was like when it started. I like Luke. Um, it's a little easier for me to read. He, he was a Gentile. He was the only one of those four that wasn't a Jew, and, and he was... He speaks to the Gentiles. Um, also, Paul, anything Paul wrote. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so if you want to read what Paul wrote, you know, half of the New Testament Paul wrote, uh, he's a great teacher. And, and maybe the most important um, player in, in our Christian heritage uh, came on the scene at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended on, on 3,000 people in one shot. That Holy Spirit has been here ever since living amongst us as believers, and he's inside of us, and he's, the Holy Spirit is a very strong part of our Christian heritage. Um, so if you haven't had the opportunity of, of having that background, you, you don't have to fear because it's already inside you and, it, and it's available. You know, meeting here for, for church on Sunday morning just enhances that. <clears throat> I utilize a lot of 
people uh, to help me with, with my understanding of God's Word. Some are younger, like Caleb. Some are way older, like Robert and, you know, some of those old, old-timers. Uh, we picked on Robert earlier in the, this morning. Um, but that, that's how we have to do it. We have to be able to utilize all the resources we have. There, there, there's the next generation. He's, he's, he doesn't want his Christian heritage this morning. <laughs> but that's our job. Just, just like with what the Long X Ranch is trying to do by, by preserving the cowboy traditions, that, that's what the church body has to do with passing on the Christian traditions and, and the Christian heritage. Um, luckily, my son was born with quite a bit higher IQ than I have, so he's chosen not to be a slave to a cow the rest of his life. And, and he wants to go do some other things, which I'm, I'm completely fine with. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't have a job to do. Maybe he doesn't necessarily want to learn cowboy heritage from me, but he wants to learn, sometimes he wants to learn Christian heritage from me and from Kathy. And that's our job as parents. That's our job as a community is to, to help these younger, the younger generation understand that, to know that, to know the good news. That's our job, to know the good news and pass it along so that they know it. Um, he has decided that, that he wants to rub elbows with, with the flat track dirt bike racing community. Okay? And I'm just so thankful because his two mentors in that community are strong Christian men with a lot of faith. And he's going to learn Christian heritage through them. And so it doesn't matter which direction you're going um, in your life. What matters is that we, we learn as much as we can about the good news so, that, so we can pass it along. You don't have to know everything. I, I don't speak well. I, you know, I'm not fluent up here. Um, I never went to seminary school. I don't know the Bible near as well as I would like to or should, but I know a couple of things. Okay? I know a couple of things. I know that Christ died on the cross for me, for my for my sins, okay? And I know he didn't stay dead. He rose again, he's alive, and he's the only way we're going to get to heaven is, is through that belief. I know those two things in my heart so that I can teach those two things, right? I don't need to know everything else in that book. I'm learning a lot of other things in that book, um, but I can teach that. And so we can all teach something to the, to the kids. Um, and the kids can teach something to us, maybe. I, I got to help a little guy um, last year, well, two years ago. I was at a, a 4-H clinic that, that I'd agreed to do and, and was teaching the kids out of rope. And there was maybe 50 of these little kids. Just fun deal. And I was taking them in bunches because I can't teach 50 kids out of rope in one, in one setting. So I was taking little groups of five or so. And this one little fella come in, and, and he was a handy guy. He had pretty good horsemanship skills, and he could rope pretty good. And, and so we were just working on kind of team roping type stuff, overhand loops so that they could pass their test in the ranch horse deal. And, and so after, in one of the intermissions, I had brought a colt with to, to kind of ride around. And, and I was playing around on the dummy, and I was throwing a little backhand trap shot on this dummy, uh, a shot that I use a lot in brandings. And, and it's different. It's a different loop than what most people see. It's Instead of your arm traveling this direction, it's traveling opposite. And so this little guy had been watching me, and, and he came up to me, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm throwing a backhand. He said, that's pretty cool. Will you teach it to me? Well, first he asked why. He said, which I love. He says, why, why, why do you need to do that? I said, well, when I'm at a branding and I swing this overhand loop, you know, all day long, my arm gets tired. And so I can swing this backhand loop and use a whole different set of muscles. And, and, and so when my arm gets tired, I can swing this backhand shot. And, and the other reason is 
a lot of times calves set up in a way where it's, you can't wrap the rope around their right hind leg, you have to wrap it around their left hind leg. And so I, can, I have two options. When I see a calf standing there, I can pick the one that's appropriate and I don't have to move the calf or move my horse. And he's like, that's pretty cool, will you teach it to me? And I said, sure. And so I taught him a backhand loop that took Kevin four years to learn uh, in three minutes. I mean, this kid, literally, it's a tough, it's kind of hard. It, you look, you look kind of weird at first when you start learning it, but he learned it right away. And pretty soon he's just laying it in there and like this. I said, yeah, just like that. So it was a year later, come back to do the 4-H clinic again, and he's there. He's a little bit bigger. And... Uh, so I was visiting with him. I said, so how'd that backhand loop work out for you? He said, it was great. He said, I went to a branding, was catching all kinds of calves with it. And all the old guys come up and said, asked me what I was doing. And, they, and he said, well, I'm swinging this backhand loop. And they said, will you teach it to us? <laughs> and so he got to teach way better hands than he was. The one thing he knew that he was better at than they were. And he taught them how to swing a, a backhand loop and catch calves at a branding. God said we have to have a childlike faith. So we, we can learn from the generation ahead of us, but we can also learn from the generation in front of us. Um, my hope is that this ministry can not only preserve the cowboy heritage, um, and if you don't want to rope cattle and do things like that, it doesn't matter. That's not, you don't have to do that to, to, to be involved in this ministry. What you do have to do is eat beef, okay? If you don't want to rope cattle, at least eat cattle, all right? Because that's, that's how you can preserve the cowboy heritage and so that the rest of us can stay in business, all right? But you don't, you don't have to do that. <clears throat> but you can help us do that through supporting the ranch and, and supporting what we're doing. But most of all, we all need to be involved in, in preserving our Christian heritage. That, that Learn the good news and then spread the good news. That's what we're here for. So I'm going to pray for you. God, thank you so much for this gathering this morning. Thank you so much for Kevin, who's been so instrumental in helping me with my Christian heritage. I ask that you, that you open all our hearts and minds to, to learning your gospel, to learning your good news, so that we can go forth and spread that. Please be with anybody who's hurting or, or down or in trouble or, or just needing you today, God. We need you every day, but especially those for sick. Uh, I pray for my neighbor, Wayne, who's got cancer, uh, that he finds you, Lord, and and uh, I want to pray for all those who lead in ministry and all those who step forth to serve, that you'd be with them through their trials because they're coming. Just hope that your spirit is upon us today as we learn your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome to Save the Cowboy. This is a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. Our goal is to teach authentic Christianity through the legacy, artistry, and traditions of the working ranch cowboy. Um, we are big here about responsibility. That's a word that is seldom used in today's society. Nobody wants to be responsible for nothing, but here we're going to make you responsible for your own faith. Okay. I am not here to be a Christian for you. Okay. Your Christianity is your responsibility. We'll do whatever we can to help, but we're not going to be there to hold your hand. Also, I am not here to feed you. I am not going to take the little baby food and the spoon airplane and open up and feed you the word of God. No, I'll give you a recipe. What you do with it when you get home is your responsibility, okay? You are grown people. You have a savior that died for you and it's time that you develop that personal relationship. I wanna make the introduction and then get out of the way and let y'all two get to know each other. So with that being said, uh, 
Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, and we will get started. I've got a very, very difficult question to start off with. Actually, two questions. The first question is, who likes to receive a compliment? Well, I, I mean, I, there are like four of you, so that's great. That's great. These four people like to receive a compliment, okay? The rest of you, we're not ever going to compliment. Uh, no, I mean, who doesn't like to receive a compliment, right? Who likes to give a compliment? I, I do too, man. That, that, that's my Isn't it crazy that more people raise their hands to give than to receive? But I guess that may be a good thing. But, you know, those are two of my favorite things in the world is to give and, and, and even receive compliments. More, more giving on my end, but a nice compliment is, is cool every now and then. And um, so since October, uh, me and my buddy, Neil Wilson... Uh, he, I talked to him one day and I was like, Hey, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, fixing to go work out. I said, Oh, you, you working out? And he's like, yeah. I said, do you want a workout partner? He said, I'd love to have a workout partner. So, you know, both me and Neil are both like six two two fifty. So, uh, I thought, you know, it'd be, I'd be a good partner for him. Yeah. Yeah. He puts 45s on, I put two and a halves on, you know, that's kind of the way it goes, but I, but he's really pushed me and I've really pushed him and we've been working out hard for since October and, and not going easy, leg days ever Friday. I don't know why people say TGIF because we do not thank God it's Friday because Friday is leg day. We walk around, our cardio on the weekends is trying to stay upright, okay? But anyway, you know, we've, been, we've been working out really hard and, and being a skinny guy, you know, I never thought I would really be able to uh, gain anything. And for the first four and a half months out of the five months I've been working out, uh, nothing happened because, you know, I, I was like, man, you know, may, maybe somebody will notice. And, and what I figured out is that when you're a guy and you start working out, the first people that notice are dudes. The dudes will come up to you like, oh, man, you've been working out, man. You look great. And they're touching your arm and you're like, get off of me. What are you doing? It's not the guys I'm looking for the compliment from. Where's the girls? They don't notice. I mean, here I'm sweating and, and no girls say anything. Well, last week uh, we had a visitor hadn't seen her in a long time. And she walks in and the first thing she goes is she's, Oh my gosh, look at you. You look great. You've been gaining some weight. You've got a beard. You look so handsome. I'm like, finally, a girl said something. Y'all guys quit touching me. But you know, and and seriously, I I like, I I full hugged her. I was like, you don't know what that means to me because I've been working so hard. Nobody said nothing. And she goes, and I said, it really means something to me because I think people are afraid to compliment other people. She looks at me and she goes, honey, I am over 50 years old. I am happily married. I am not dead. And if I like something, I'm going to say it. And she goes, and if they want to take it wrong, let them. I don't care. And I thought, you know what? Where where did that go? Why, why can't we just pay somebody a compliment anymore without somebody taking it wrong? Or can we, can we just give a nice compliment without a subtle hidden meaning in there somewhere? Man, it's kind of this political correctness has gotten out of control. So I started a, a deal started telling you a story last week. I was at the gym. Uh, Neil was in the hospital, so I was there by myself, and I was doing this this uh, sadistic machine that you put a bunch of weight on, and you go like this, and it's supposed to you know, make you a big old chest, right? And so I sit down at this machine, and I grab one side, and I grab the other, 
And whenever I turn around to start my exercise, the only other person in the gym is nice looking lady about 23, about my age, comes over there and she starts doing tricep dips. And I mean, it is right in front of me, right in front of me. And I started getting like a panic attack. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do, you know. Should I just shut my eyes and pretend like she's not there? Or should I go get a drink of water? I mean, I started having an anxiety attack and I thought, which one of these should I do? Well, I didn't do either one of those two things because the third thing I did was I told myself to shut up. That was stupid. She wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I just finished my set and she finished her set and we, neither one of us thought anything about it. But it bothered me inside that we've reached a point in in our society that you can't even work out without fear of somebody taking something wrong or, or anything like that. Well, later on, we were still the only ones in the gym and she was getting ready to leave and she was walking out and man, she was working hard. I mean, she was breathing hard and I mean, she was lifting. And anyway, I looked at her and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And I looked at this lady as she was walking out and I said, you know what? I can see how hard you're working. And for somebody new to working out, that's an inspiration to me. And I just want to tell you that you look great. She got tears in her eyes and she looked at me and she goes, you have no idea what that means to me. Thank you so, so much. And I said, you're welcome. And she walked out. Why can't we just compliment somebody? Have we really reached a point in our society that, that no longer can we even love somebody on the small enough level just to give them a compliment? Hey, your hair looks nice. Hey, is that a new hat you got? Or, you know, I mean, my gosh, everybody is afraid to say everything. The political correctness has just infiltrated every part of our lives where Christians are running around in fear. We live in a politically correct world and I can't stand it. This will be the most politically incorrect sermon that you will ever hear. We live in a world where people can march naked down the street in support of their sexual identity and it's held as courageous, but you hold the door open for a woman and you're a male chauvinist pig. That's the kind of world we live in today. We live in a world where if a woman is nice and smiles at someone, it's perceived as some sort of sexual invitation. But if she minds her own business, then she's a snob. That's the kind of world we live in, and it has got to stop. It has got to stop. I don't like politically incorrect or politically correct. And there was another guy that was not politically correct either. Most of you know him as Jesus of Nazareth. Three times that Jesus was not politically correct at all. But before we get to these three things, I need you to understand something, okay? I posted this uh, on my Facebook page and on our Long X Ranch Cowboy Secret Facebook group. And, and it was, I, I don't know if I didn't say something right, but it was kind of hard to understand, but I'm still going to elaborate on it more. You have to keep one thing in mind when we talk about these these. Instant, three instances that Jesus was politically incorrect. I want you to hold one thought in your mind that the biblical definition of love calls us to be a doorway to God, not a doormat for the world to wipe its feet on. Okay? I want you to picture that. If we are loving correctly, then we will show 
God's love. If we love the way the world loves, then they can just come wipe our feet and, and just throw it around like it's nothing. It's just a doormat to be thrown around and used for whatever purpose, okay? So keep that, those two thoughts in mind, that the biblical definition, if we are loving like we're supposed to, it should be a doorway to God, not a doormat for the world to use however they want. So the very first instance that Jesus was not politically correct is found in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, the Bible says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food, and the woman was surprised. Now, you, you have to understand... Number one, this is a different time and place, okay? This is kind of Jesus is working out at the gym by himself, you know, type situation. But they're in Samaria. Samaria is where the half-bred Jews lived. In other words, there was a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, and they married somebody that was not Jewish, and that was a big no-no. So there was this area called Samaria, Okay, most people, it's right in kind of in the heart of Israel. And most people would take two days travel to go around Samaria just so they didn't have to look at one of these people. So this is kind of a big deal. It may not mean much to us now, but back then it was a big deal. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were, this is in verse 26. Sorry, I, I skipped some. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Okay, this was a big deal. I mean, th this is a rabbi, a teacher, a Jewish man, and he is talking alone at a well with a Samaritan woman. You do not get any more politically incorrect than that right there. Not only that, but when Jesus was talking to her, he said, where's your husband? And she goes, I don't have one. And Jesus was like, well, I, I, I know that. I was seeing what you would say. You actually... You know, you live with somebody that's not your husband, and this is like the fourth time you've done it. And she was like, oh, are you serious? You know, did he just know that? He wasn't condemning her. He was just trying to show her a better way towards God. The doorway, you know, I said that the biblical definition of, of love is a doorway to God. That doorway was he told her he was the Messiah. He told her that she was living with a man that wasn't her husband, and she'd done this for four times, okay? Now, what would, the, what would the world say about that? They would say, well, Jesus is being judgmental. It doesn't matter if she's living with somebody that's not her husband. Well, it mattered to Jesus because the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to do that, that there's nothing wrong with there being a man and a husband when they're a man, a man and a husband, that there's nothing wrong with a man and a wife as long as they're man and wife, Okay. Now, I, I, I'm not being judgmental. Jesus said that. I didn't. I didn't come up with it. I didn't just say, hey, you know what? Let's make a rule of it. And it, Jesus is just saying, hey, man, you, you know, you, let me show you a better way. Let me show you a better way. He's showing the doorway to God. He said, I'm the Messiah. Once you drink what I have to offer, you'll never be thirsty again. 
quit running off and finding all of that other stuff that you think is going to make you happy because it's not. The doormat is the world would have accused Jesus of being judgmental. Aren't Christians supposed to love and that's what that lady was doing? Loving? What's wrong with that? Christians are bigots, aren't they? I mean, that, that's what the world will say. That anytime something is said that, that uh, especially when God says it, if it doesn't fit the world's agenda, then we're being judgmental. We're not being judgmental. We're trying to steer people towards God. We should be going towards God. Jesus was very politically incorrect. He never minced words. And he, even if it was a Samaritan woman all by herself, Jesus was always willing to love them enough to show them a way to God. The second time that Jesus was politically incorrect is found in John chapter eight. Jesus has gone to the Mount of Olives and then he's coming down from the Mount of Olives and he's going into the temple. And as he goes into the temple, there's a hubbaloo and, and a bunch of these religious guys, they come dragging probably a half naked woman into the temple and they throw her at Jesus's feet and they're trying to kill her and trap him. And basically they say the law of Moses, this girl has just been caught red handed in adultery. And the law of Moses says that she must be stoned. What do you say? In verse seven of John chapter eight, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. Now, why did he stand up again? Because as soon as they started talking about stoning her, he knelt down on the ground and started writing something in the dirt. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. I don't know what he was writing, but I think they was paying attention because of what happened next. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Now, I don't know about you, but what I picture is a bunch of old dudes wanting to stone a girl that's just been caught in adultery and they've all got rocks. And then Jesus says that. And the oldest one goes, "Uh oh, and drops his rock. And, you know, and, and then I, I can imagine the last guy standing there like, oh, yeah, uh oh, <laughs> I'm the last one. Beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. People were watching. Then Jesus stood up again. He's still been writing in the dirt. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, the law of Moses said that that girl should have been put to death, but yet here is God himself, not punishing a sinner, but forgiving her, but giving her new life. See, the doorway that I speak about, when we say the biblical definition of love is the doorway to God, the doorway is that Jesus showed that there is no condemnation in him, but there's also no tolerance. Think about that. That's not very politically correct for me to say that there's no tolerance. Jesus didn't say her sin was okay. He said, go and sin no more, but he forgave her. There is no condemnation in Jesus. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You've heard it. But what about the next verse? This is Jesus talking. He said, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn people. He came to save people from their sin. And that's the good news. Sin drags us away from God and Jesus offers us a way back. 
even caught in adultery, it, it doesn't matter to Jesus, man. He just says, neither do I condemn you. Get up, go, have a new life and sin no more. He doesn't tolerate sin. He'll forgive it, but he's not going to tolerate. He didn't say, hey, you just get up and go do what you're doing. We'll see you in a little while. He didn't say that. He said, go and sin no more. He had given her new life. She was about to die. And Jesus offered her new life. But you know what the doormat of that is? You know what the world will ask? And dare I say that I've been one of these that asked the same question and you might be asked thinking the same thing. The world will ask, where was the guy? Where was the guy? Why wasn't he being stoned? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, okay? And I'm not gonna insert something into the Bible that's Kevin's opinion. It doesn't say, but I do know that he wasn't there to experience Jesus. And should we be worried more about why he wasn't there to get punished? Shouldn't we be worried why he wasn't there to be forgiven? That's the difference in loving and condemning. Let's not ask where was the guy so he could be punished too. Our hearts should be breaking because the guy wasn't forgiven of those sins, but she was. We must always look for a way to get to God through love. And Jesus is the perfect example. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Look at what Jesus did. He never tolerated sin. He never condoned it, but he always forgave it. And finally, the last one that we'll talk about is found in Luke chapter 7. When one of the, this is Luke seven thirty six. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus is very politically incorrect. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, for she is a sinner. Wow, Jesus is very politically incorrect. The doorway, the love that Jesus is showing here is that it does not matter what your past is. Jesus loves you. It does not matter what you have done in your past. Jesus loves you and he will forgive you. Now, he's not going to forgive you just so you can do it again. You notice this girl was weeping and wetting. She was washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet off with her hair. Okay, that is being sorry enough to quit the life that you live. And then she's taken probably the most expensive thing she owns and she's pouring it out on Jesus. There's nothing that we have done in our past that Jesus will not forgive when we go to him in that manner right there. But see, the doormat... The way the world wants to view love is that the self-righteous don't want sinners forgiven, do they? Religious people don't want their pews stained with alcohol, drugs, and pornography, and adultery. It messes with their self-righteous makeup. It does. It messes with them. You know, Jesus himself said, the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. I didn't come to make the righteous well. I came to save sinners. And yet in, in our church in America, the politically correct thing is, oh, everybody's got to be perfect to walk in. That's why I say that Save the Cowboys, a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. I'm a sinner. I need a doctor. 
You're a sinner. You need a doctor and it ain't me, it's him. And that's why I'm working so hard to try to introduce you to the man that can save your life, the man that can forgive your sin. And it doesn't matter what it is in your past. Jesus said that there was only one sin that could not be forgiven. And that's the sin of unbelief because I know that this is kind of rocket science, but you got to believe in Jesus in order to be forgiven by him. So if you don't believe in him, there's no forgiveness, okay? That's it. All right, if you need some more explanation on that, I don't know if I can help you, okay? Because I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you, okay? It's pretty cut and dry. You got to believe in Jesus to be forgiven by Jesus, but if you don't believe him, then you won't be forgiven. So there's only one sin that can't be forgiven, the sin of unbelief, okay? But we got to quit being so politically correct all the time. Jesus wasn't politically correct, and I'm not fixing to be either, okay? These are just a couple of observations that I see that hurt my heart. And I know a few of you is going to gasp and want to get up and bolt or shut it off or something, but just hear me out before you do. Listen, men and women aren't equal. I don't think they were ever meant to be. They're not meant to be equal. They're meant to be compliments, okay? We've got to quit trying to compete with each other. Men need to quit trying to be girls, and girls need to quit trying to be boys. Girls were made girls for a reason. You're beautiful. You're awesome. And guys, you're supposed to be big and strong and, and, and leaders and, and, and everything that God made you to be. Why would you want to be something else that God didn't make you to be? I'm not saying that to criticize. I'm trying to love on you. Men who are strong that can lead. That does not to be confused with men that go around telling people what to do and thinking they're better than everybody else. Actually, a real strong man that can lead will put himself last and be filled with humility and be able to lead his family down the path of righteousness, not force them to go anywhere. That's what a man is. Women, we need real women who can be the heartbeat of the family, who can bring the beauty and love into this dark world. It can give us hard-headed guys a little bit of insight sometimes because we're oblivious sometimes. We just want to throat punch stuff. It's not always the answer, okay? Sometimes we, we, we need a little wisdom every now and then, ladies. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. You know, the man is the body and the strength. The woman is the heart. But a heart can't live without a body and a body can't live without a heart. We're complementary. We're not the same. Never meant to be the same. God created man and he created woman and he created us to be together so that we can reveal the glory of God. We need to quit trying to be each other all the time or thinking that it's a competition. It's not. We're supposed to be working together, not against each other. We're made to complement each other and complement each other. You know, real love for one another is butchered upon the altar of political correctness. True love is butchered on the altar of political correctness. We must get back to loving each other. If you are afraid of walking up to somebody and paying them a compliment, you maybe you see they're having a hard day, you're wanting to encourage somebody. If you're afraid of the ramifications of walking up and complimenting somebody or encouraging somebody, you'll never love them. If you can't do that, that is easy compared to to loving them the way Jesus said. If you can't pay them a compliment and be serious about it in a loving Christian way, if you can't do that, you'll never be able to love them. Never. We need to compliment each other. We need to smile. We need to hold the door. We need to carry the groceries. We need to have the groceries carried. We've got to start loving each other again. And if we can't even compliment somebody else and look them in the eye and say, I love you, 
If we can't even do that, we'll never do anything else. It's just not going to happen. And I know that's not for everybody. Some of you just don't have that personality. I'm not trying to make a, you know, everybody has to do it this way or that way. But I am saying that we must get back to loving because Jesus, didn't Jesus say, you, are, you will be known as my disciples by your love. And if we are so stinking scared of what somebody, how somebody's going to react. If we pay them a compliment or offer a word of encouragement, if we're that scared of just doing that, we'll never love like Jesus told us to. So I'm challenging you. Cowboys, I'm double dog daring you. I triple dog dare you. Go compliment somebody. Start with your wife. Start with your girlfriend. Start with your mom. Start loving somebody. Practice the little things, man. Complimenting is little. Practice complimenting and encouraging people and loving them. And then when you get good at that, you'll really be able to love them later. It's what we're commanded to do. We have to learn to compliment. We have to learn to say, I love you before we can. If you can't say it, you're not going to do it. Yes, sexual harassment is a real thing. Don't engage in it and don't tolerate it, okay? Seriously. But also... Don't fear an accusation of of something that you didn't do. Don't withhold that for fear of an accusation. Because listen, you can be accused whether you do it or not, okay? Don't fear an accusation more than you fear God. And also, ladies, do not be afraid to throat punch somebody if they're sexually harassing you. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it, call me or Ty. We'll throat punch them. I'll bring some boys, okay? I will, straight up. We'll love them till they hurt, okay? I know this is hard, guys, and I know this isn't the greatest sermon you've ever heard or anything, but seriously, what kind of world would it be if we could just start loving people? Let's compliment them. Let's put our arms around them or or put your hand on their shoulder, whether it's guys or girls or, or whatever, and just say, man, I love you. I like what you're doing. Man, you look great. Whatever the case may be, whatever God leads you to do, listen to it and quit being chickens. Start loving people like we're supposed to. The lie that I believed was that I could be a politically correct, that I could be politically correct and a Christian. It cannot be done. We must love and not hate. We must forgive sin, but we shouldn't tolerate it, mainly within ourselves. We must speak the truth, even when calling sin a sin. God will never call you to a point. Listen, in pointing out sin, God's never gonna lead you to point out the sin in somebody else unless he's also calling you to bring that person into your home and care for them and love them until they can give it up. So if you're not willing to bring somebody into your own home and care for them as a doctor would a a patient, God will never call you to point out a sin that he isn't going to make you be a part of a solution of. So remember that before we point out somebody else's sin. You cannot be politically correct and a Christian at the same time. No man can serve two masters. Matthew 11, 6 says this, and this is it. My soapbox is starting to crack. Matthew 11, 6. And blessed is he who is not offended of me. That's what Jesus said. And blessed is he that is not offended of me. Don't be offended of Jesus. Go love like he told you to. Compliment somebody, encourage somebody. Look somebody in the eye and tell them that you love them and mean it. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, show us how to love. Show us how to be men. Show them how to be women. Show us all that you are loved and we should pass that love onto others. Show us how to reveal your love to the world instead of being the doormat that the world wipes their shoes on. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In case nobody's told you, in case you hadn't heard it, listen up. 
I love each and every one of you. Y'all here, y'all watching. I love every stinking one of you, even those of you that's hard to love. I know I'm hard to love sometimes too, and I appreciate you loving me back. We'll see y'all next week.